Good morning, everyone. My name is Ella. And my name is Owen. And tonight, we have a very exciting event going on. We have a campfire at the Yonsei's beautiful property at 7.30 for our young adults. There's going to be s'mores, lots of fun. If you'd like to come out, bring a blanket or a chair, something to sit on. And if you have any questions about that, if you'd like to join us, please contact Shar. It's going to be a good time. I hope you come out. And one of the biggest things we do here at West Heights to support one another is we pray for each other. And so if you have any prayer requests, no matter how big or how small, please feel free to send them in at West Heights, that's right, prayers at westheights.org, and we will be sure to pray for you. Thank you and have a good service. Well, thank you very much, Owen and Ella. And yes, they have rightfully identified that praying for one another is one of the ways that we practice what it means to support one another and to be growing in relationships with one another. And, uh, and so uh, that, that kind of ties in nicely with what our sermon's going to be about, our teaching time's going to be about, which is really about how do we grow our, our, our responsibility, taking on that responsibility that we have for one another. And uh, we're going to practice that again in a bit of a prayer time right now. And one of the ways that we practice this is not just praying for ourselves, not just praying for the people that we know, but also praying for people in communities that we don't know. And as a church community, one of the things that we can do is be praying for other church communities uh, in our city, in our, in our country, and uh, we're going to be doing that today as, we're, as we include praying for the other Be in Christ churches that are in Kitchener, Waterloo, in Waterloo region. Uh, we're going to include pray, a prayer time for them this morning uh, as we pray together. So would you please join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, once again, we just want to say thank you for who you are. And Lord, for this opportunity to worship you and to focus our thoughts and our hearts on who you are and what you are doing in our lives, Lord, and how you have been present with us during both really good things this past week and also in the really hard things. And so, Lord, we want to say thank you for that. And, Lord, for those in our church community who are, uh, who are dealing with, with hard things this last week, Lord, we ask that, you would, that they would know you coming alongside them and giving your comfort and your strength, even in places of grief. And, Lord, we, we know that there are those in our church community who have recently said goodbye to loved ones and others who are wrestling with, with some serious health concerns right now. And so, Lord, we ask that in these special moments these painful moments, Lord, that you would be uniquely present and uniquely experienced. Lord Jesus, we also recognize that we are not the only church that exists, thank goodness, Lord, that you have made us to be a part of this bigger thing that you are doing in our region, in our, in our country, in our world, Lord, that you have unique communities scattered uh, everywhere. Lord, to, to manifest and express what it means to be living in relationship in unique and personalized ways. And Lord, we are grateful that we get to be a part of that. Lord, this morning we want to express our responsibility to be supporting our brothers and sisters or, uh, that, that, uh, that meet in other places other than right here, right now. And so this morning we want to pray for Rosebank Community Church. We want to pray for Crossroads Community Church. We want to pray for Pathway Community Church and the Meeting House community that is a part of, that is ministering to Waterloo Region. 
Lord, uh, we are connected with denominational ties, Lord, and that is important, and we, are, we love the ability to be able to meet together and to be uh, in like-minded in so many things. But Lord, this morning we ask that you would pray, uh, that you would give your blessing and your wisdom to those in leadership of those different communities. Lord, that you would give dreams and ambitions for, for how each of those churches can reach their neighbors and how they can live out what it means to, to love you and, and to follow you in ways that can be experienced by those who, are, 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 who, live, who live close by. Lord, we want to be a part of this thing that you are doing. And we know that these communities do too. And so, Lord, we ask for your blessing. We ask for your strength. We ask that if the season is hard right now, Lord, that you would just give perseverance and everything that is needed. Now, God, as we prepare for our teaching time this morning, we ask that you just give us an ability to, to listen to how your spirit is at work here and that it, what you want us to take from here would stick. And the stuff that isn't important, the fluff, Lord, would just kind of disappear. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever had the experience of, start, of wanting to start up a conversation with somebody? Maybe it happened even here this morning in the foyer where you thought, hey, I'm going to go talk to that person, find out how they're doing. You're, you're ready to engage them in conversation. You say, hey, how are you? And you get the dreaded one-word response, the fine. Like, I don't know about you, but I always feel like I don't know what to do with that. It comes all the time, or you get the I'm fine answer, and you're like, what do I where do I go from here? It's like you get shut down. Or as parents, you know, a couple weeks ago, we were still picking our kids up from school. And I don't know about you, but I'd, every day I'd pick up the kids from school and I'd say, hey, we can still see the school, by the way. And I'd say, what did you do today? I don't know. I don't remember. And it's deflating because in that moment, you're trying to engage the other person in a relationship. And in that moment, you realize that with the I'm fine or I don't remember answer, you are reminded that relationships are reciprocal. It takes a willingness by the other person to step forward and to respond. And while a question is, is a relational thing, it's about engaging, it takes a willingness by the other party to actually engage and to get involved. Our summer teaching series is, the, is called The Questions God Asks, and we, we started last week, and actually next week we're taking a week off from this series, but then we're going to keep looking at some different questions that God asks in the Old Testament, and we realize that these questions that God is asking really is about engaging us in relationship and trying to stir something in us to get us to move from where we were to where he wants us to be. It's about moving us forward and engaging us in relationship. And yet, every once in a while, and we're going to see this in our passage this morning, God asks somebody a question, and, and he gets stonewalled, just like we might get stonewalled in our conversational attempts. And we see this in our text this morning as we, we look at Genesis chapter 4, where God asks Cain the question, where is your brother? Now, as we get into this passage this morning, there are two theological themes that we can kind of see woven uh, through what we're going to talk about. The first has to do with what does, what does it mean for us to be in a right relationship with God? And in many ways, this connects with what we talked about last week. Uh, and the second is the responsibility that we have to and for one another. And the reality is that these two themes are interconnected, and, and so our big idea this week is that, that our relationship with God shapes our relationships 
with others. Our relationship with God shapes our relationships with others. And so let's begin by reading from Genesis chapter 4, starting at the second half of verse 2. And then we're going to this morning kind of read a couple, read a verse or two, stop, talk about it, read a verse or two, and continue that way this morning. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on, uh, favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was angry, and his face was downcast. In these verses, we, we meet Cain and Abel. There are two brothers who are involved in farming. We have, we have Cain who, who grows plants and Abel who raises animals. And the time comes for them to offer sacrifices to God as a part of their worship. Um, and, and the offering here that is being described is what is understood to be a tribute offering. Whereas uh, and what that means is that it's an offering by which somebody is acknowledging the superiority or your dependence upon the, per, the receiver of the offering. So it's sort of a... a it's, a, it's an offering of worship, recognizing your gratitude, your dependence upon God. That's what this offering was about. Now, in our passage, Cain offers some of the produce of his harvest, whereas Abel gives from his flock of animals. And Abel's offering is welcomed and accepted, while Cain's is rejected and in order to understand the rest of what we're going to talk about this morning, we need to kind of answer the question, why is Cain's offering rejected? Well, there are two common ways of answering this question. And the first is to say, suggest that maybe Cain didn't have the right amount of faith. And people have read from Hebrews chapter 11, this verse that says, by faith, Abel brought, a, brought God a gift. Sorry. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And again, this has led some people to think that this is all about faith. One of them had faith and one of them did not. And while that's partially true, it doesn't actually fully engage what's all happening in Genesis chapter 4. Now, other people have suggested that the problem has to do with the fact that Cain's offering isn't an animal sacrifice. And that's the, and that's the problem. But the issue with that is that if we actually look through the book of Leviticus and you look at the different offerings there, this offering in particular is not an animal sacrifice. In fact, it's supposed to be a grain offering, an offering of the first things that you harvest. You, you go as a farmer, you harvest the first things, you take that first bit and you offer it to the Lord as tribute. Now, the key really is in how this story is told. See, the text tells us that Cain brought some of his harvest. It doesn't tell us what it was like. It doesn't even tell us that it was the first, first of his harvest. It says he just brought some. But more time is spent describing what Abel brought, and that Abel brought the firstborn from his flock. So they brought the fat portions. He bought, brought the first and the best to the Lord. And that tells us something about, you know, what, what's the difference here? Cain brought some. Abel brought the best. You know, the issue isn't so much about, really, ultimately, about what Cain did, so much as, as what's going on in Cain's heart that is being expressed in his actions. 
See, Abel, through bringing the best, is expressing a heart that is genuinely like, appreciative of the good gifts that God has given him. He's genuinely uh, demonstrating his um, reliance on God and, uh, and acknowledging that God is superior and that God deserves his best. It, Abel is expressing a relationship with God. He knows God, and he's expressing that through his offering, whereas Cain is just kind of going through the motions. He's required to bring a sacrifice. He brings something. And that in what he does, it's communicating that he's actually not grateful. He's not actually trying to engage God in the same way that Abel is. He's just kind of there. And this theme of, like, you know, what's really at the heart of sacrifice, what the point of sacrifice is found throughout Scripture, to the point that we realize that sacrifices, the sacrifices are never actually the point. It's what's going on at the heart level that is most important. In the book of Hosea, we hear God say, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. That is to say, you can do the burnt offering thing, but if your heart's not in the right place, it doesn't matter. Or in the Gospels, we read a story of a man who asked Jesus, hey, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus goes on and responds, and the man replies to Jesus and says, well said, teacher, you are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. To which Jesus agrees. And so something for us to keep in mind is that our relationship with God is, is always more important than doing religious type things. And so this story reminds us that we can go through religious motions, but not be in a right relationship with God. We can go through religious motions, do religious type things, do, you know, attend church, attend Bible study, to, to do things that are good, but not be in a right relationship with God. Let's keep reading verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Have you ever heard this piece of advice that uh, you shouldn't ever go grocery shopping while you're hungry? We've heard this, right? And the reason for this is when you go grocery shopping when you're hungry is you're liable to buy a whole bunch of stuff that ordinarily you wouldn't buy because, well, everything looks good. Where if you go grocery shopping when you're not hungry, you'll probably stick to your budget. You might be able to say, well, that looks good, but it's overpriced, and you'll put some things back. But if you go while you're hungry, everything finds its way into the cart, right? The idea is that, you know, in that state, maybe we aren't making good decisions, Another similar piece of advice that, that I've heard is that uh, following perhaps a, a, a significant life change like the death of a spouse is that we shouldn't make other massive changes to our lives. That that's not the time to sell the house. That's not the time to move across the country. And the reason being is that in that, you know, where we're at in that time of life, uh, we might not be making the decisions that we, you know, later on we might regret the decisions that we make if we make drastic changes at that point in time. In our text today, Cain is mad, like really mad. And God sees this, and he sees that, that Cain and his emotional state, it, 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 this isn't going to go well if he doesn't kind of get a hold of himself here. That the decisions that he are, he's going to make 
aren't going to be good. And he knows that an emotion like anger, if left unchecked, can lead to some pretty disastrous places. These verses that we just read begin with God showing his concern for Cain and asking the question, Why are you angry? Why are you angry? And while this question is not our destination today, it's another time where God is asking a question that is really an invitation for Cain and even for us to step forward and to lean into our relationship with God. And in this case, God is inviting Cain to lean in and to, and to work through his frustration, to work through his anger and his bitterness, and to revisit his motives and to re-engage this relationship with God that wasn't in the right place when he offered his sacrifice. And from this question, you know, why are you angry? God goes on to speak using a metaphor where sin is in a way personified as a wild animal that is waiting outside the door, waiting to pounce and to kill on the person who exits that home. And the point that God is making is that Cain's anger is making him susceptible to the deadly influence of sin. And that right there is an interesting image for us to reflect on. That the reality of life is that the situations and circumstances that we might find ourselves in, well, they're not always positive, and the result can be that we find ourselves feeling wounded and angry and bitter and even jealous at times, and while we shouldn't just pretend that things are good when they're not, at the same time, this story reminds us of the damage that is caused when we allow things like jealousy, anger, and bitterness to take root in our lives. And you know what? There's something about these emotions that in a way feel justified and even good. They give us almost a little bit of a rush, a little bit of high. There's something about when somebody's wronged us and we're able to grab hold of that bitterness and feel like this is mine. I want it. It feels good. I am right to be angry. I'm right to be jealous. I'm right to be bitter. There's something about it that that just kind of like gets us. It feels okay. But the problem is that when we hold on to these emotions, they can begin to take over our lives and start to call the shots. And the result is not the healing and the wholeness that we really actually need. Instead, they start to consume us. They start to influence us. They start to shape uh, how we engage the world. And they start to impact our relationships. And this is why something like forgiveness is so important. Because as we practice forgiveness, what we are doing is we are being set free from a power that otherwise would suck the life right out of us. Now, despite the fact that God comes to Cain and asks him a question, Cain doesn't want to listen. He just pretends like almost God isn't even there. And Cain makes the decision not to engage God and instead becomes somebody who allows the jealousy, the anger, and the bitterness to take root and start to call the shots. And the result is is he moves from somebody who's angry, somebody who's upset, somebody who's not okay with how things are, to somebody who commits murder. And while that might seem like a bit of a drastic move, right, we we need to acknowledge that when we allow those emotions to set down roots inside of us, the results can be equally destructive. We start to use our words to hurt those around us. We become somebody who makes a whole lot of passive or aggressive comments or just, you know, lashes out at everybody. Or, you know, we start to act in ways that sabotage the relationships with people that we love. 
Those are just a couple quick examples, but usually what happens is the people that actually are on the receiving end or are are hurt by our actions, the words that we say, the attitudes that we take on, the things that we do, are usually not the people that we want to hurt. Usually they're the people that we want to protect. And so God's warning to Cain is something that we ought to keep in mind. We have a choice. We have a choice. Will we overcome sin or will, will we fall victim to it? Will we get pounced on on the way out by the wild animal waiting at the door, or will we be aware of its presence and do something to avoid it? A few weeks ago, as a family, we were, we were out on vacation at this uh, trailer park where, uh, where we spent a week, and this, this place had the most, has the most incredible playground structures that I've ever seen, okay? Absolutely incredible. This is not one of them because I couldn't find a picture of it, but it was sort of like this, like this kind of like you're a kid, you walked in the playground and you say, this is what I've been waiting for my whole life, okay? That level of like awe in terms of playground structures. And so one day, Michelle and I are there watching our kids play in the playground, and uh, as as they're playing, this other group of kids come running in, and they start playing a game on the playground too, which is fine. They're an older group of kids. They're more familiar with the playground, and so they start playing a game that requires them to climb on the outside of the play structure, not on the inside of the play structure, and at various points, their eyes are closed, and at one point, there was a kid standing on top of the outside of the slide with their eyes closed, shuffling side to side, and all Michelle and I could see was the trip to the emergency room. And what would happen? And we turned to each other and we said, what is our responsibility here? As the only adults in this playground, what is our responsibility? Are we responsible for the well-being of everybody in this space? That seemed like a bit much. And so we kind of turned like this. I'm not saying this was the right decision, but we kind of turned like this and we pretended that everything that happened over here wasn't happening. And we just faced our kids who were in this very spot and we hoped that they didn't go over here. And nobody fell that we know of. Uh, we would have heard the screams, I think. Um, but and in our society today, I don't think I can be blamed for that. We could be blamed for that response. I mean, what would have happened if I'd walked up to that group of kids and said, hey, kids, I think the game that you're playing is unsafe. I didn't know them. I didn't know their parents. They'd been there before. Maybe their parents were fine with that. Like, I, I, I'm not sure what the proper response was to have in this. But I think our text this morning reminds us uh, of the responsibility that God has created us to have uh, to and for one another that maybe is different than turning a blind eye. And so let's read one final verse here this morning from Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? We'll just end there. When we read the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, we see described a few different ways how God created everything out of nothing. And in Genesis chapter 1 and the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, we kind of get this big picture view of things. As as God creates everything, and everything is described as being created being good. In fact, when God creates uh, human beings, male and female, it actually says that they were very good. Well, if we keep reading into chapter 2, we get another uh, perspective, so to speak, of the creation story. And this time it's zoomed in a little bit more closely and focused on people. And when we read 
the description of how people are created in Genesis chapter 2, we, we get a little, there, there's a sense that after God created the first person, after God created Adam, that there's a suggestion that things are a little less than good in that exact moment. The Lord God said, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is not good for them to be alone. And this is, the, this is the point right before Eve is created. This is the point before the decision to make Eve in Genesis chapter 2. And what this points us to is, is God's design for people to be connected with one another. And the reality that alienation and isolation is not a part of God's good hopes and dreams for people like us. Rather, there's a connectedness, a relational connectedness that is a part of God's good design. And so, in this passage this morning, God is pointing back to this design as he, as he speaks to Cain. As he, this is God's design for Cain, it's God's design for us, as he asks the question, where is your brother? And so this story reminds us that, that God designed us to be interconnected with one another. That God designed us to be interconnected. And while this isn't fleshed out in this passage, there is plenty in Scripture about what God desires our relationships to be like. In fact, uh, for those of us who are following along, who can remember back to January and February, although that seems like a long time ago now, back in January and February, we went through a teaching series called One Anothering, where we kind of focused on, uh, on some of the things that we were told you know, about what our relationships with one another are supposed to be, and we, we talked about that in terms of what that means for us as a community. And so if you're if you would like a refresher or you missed that or you think, hey, that sounds interesting, you can find that teaching on our website under the, the teaching tabs uh, on the website. But there's a lot in Scripture about how we are to be living in relationship with one another. Now, this isn't just a feel-good thing, though. You know, being in relationships or being connected with one another isn't just about the people that we like. In fact, if we're following along with what Jesus has to say, Jesus talks about things like loving your enemies and doing good to those who wish to harm you or who are actually harming you. And Jesus doesn't just tell us to do this. He shows us what it looks like when we get to the cross, where Jesus is is suffering and dying for the well-being and benefit of other people. And so ultimately this question, where is your brother, is an invitation for us to embrace what it means to be living in relationships, radical relationships and radical connections to other people. And it's also an invitation to reject the mantra that something isn't our problem or that internal feeling that we're too busy to be slowed down to help somebody out. Or that, that belief that, you know, we wouldn't ever dare say out loud, but, but we had that overinflated sense of who we are and our own importance kind of factors into this. And these things are the things that are communicated when, when Cain responds to God and says, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer to that question is, yes, yes you are. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. In many ways, the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells is a a great companion piece to this theme that we are exploring today. And that's where Jesus tells a story about a Jewish man who is on a journey, and on this journey he is mugged and he's left beside the road for dead. And there's these two groups of people who come by who you would assume would be the people who would exercise compassion and help in this moment, and yet they don't want to get involved. They can't be inconvenienced. They are too busy. They got something to do, someplace to be. And, you know, they don't want to get messed up with whatever's happened to this man. 
And it's the person who you would think is the enemy of the injured man who's the one who slows down, stops, invests in what's going on, and acts in a way that ensures the well-being of this man. And Jesus says, be like that person. Be like that person. Now, as we look at this point today, um, we could go in a whole variety of different ways. And maybe you're already thinking about, you know, how this is poking at you. If we ever just leave you with the question, who is your brother? Who are you shrugging your shoulders and saying they're not my problem? You could probably come up with some faces and some names. And I'd encourage you to think about that. But what does that mean and what does that say? And how should you wrestle with that and allow Jesus in to speak into that in your own lives? But let me go on a bit of a tangent here that looks at something that's happening currently in our own region. You know, many of us are aware that, that in, broader, in our broader society, we are dealing with an affordable housing crisis. And locally, one of the ways that we are seeing this expressed is through a variety of encampments across our city where people who are experiencing homelessness are gathering to live. It's become very visible, uh, and it's becoming hard to ignore, which is probably a good thing. Now, the temptation for us is to shrug our shoulders and say, that's not my problem. I can't do anything about that. And to a degree, maybe we're right. I mean, there's government agencies and other social agencies that have greater expertise and greater resources uh, to actually do something in ways that us as individuals might not, you know, know where to even start or how to begin. But the problem is that when we shrug our shoulders and say, that's not my problem or, you know, too big for me, we run the risk of becoming like Cain when we assume that there's nothing that we can do. Instead, the question, where is your brother? That question invites us to see the people in these encampments not as faceless problems to be solved or to be put out of sight and out of mind, but as valuable individuals to be cared for. And so a starting point is we need to adjust our thinking and our attitudes. And not only that, there are things that we actually can do, like advocacy, Ensuring that, that the responses to, to these people are, are not causing more harm. To be standing up and, and saying, hey, I don't think that that response was right, just, or loving. That's one thing we can do. Or through acts of generosity where we can give to agencies that, that are, are serving folks experiencing homelessness. And, and, and even volunteering and say, hey, how can I help in this situation? Or perhaps in our, more personally, when we do encounter someone experiencing homelessness, we don't rush past or assume the worst in that encounter. But we look for ways to communicate their value and their worth, their humanity. You know, so often our default settings in those, in those situations communicate the exact opposite. Where we're trying to pretend that those folks aren't there. Now, I don't mean to suggest that there are nice, neat, tidy answers to a very complicated and systemic problem. There's not. But there are ways that we can each respond that express God's hopes and dreams and desires for us as we live in relationship to one another and we, make this, uh, we bring it to life in our society, in our region, in our neighborhoods. There are things, small things we can do now, as we think about what it means, just as we wrap 
go to wrap up this morning as we think about what it means to answer the question, where is your brother in our own circumstances? I don't think we can ignore the fact that Cain's story starts to go wrong when his relationship with God is out of sorts. That's where things start to kind of disappear or go awry. And indeed, as we read through Scripture, there seems to be a connection between our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Now, this is not to say that people who don't know Jesus uh, can't love others, but it does remind us that as followers of Jesus, we have a resource. We have something extra that is for us and that God is working in us to do things that that are unique as followers of Jesus. That as we encounter uh, people who are maybe in difficult situations or, or people that we have conflict with, that we have the resources of, of Jesus, we have God at work in us through the Holy Spirit, uh, teaching us, guiding us, correcting us when we've gone out of line, um, giving us strength and, and, and helping us when, when maybe the person that we're encountering with, we just find really difficult. And they're just really, you know, causing us difficulties and, and hardships and we just don't know what to do. Like, we have the resources of God working in us and working through us as a community to help us to be able to respond well to the question, where is your brother? Where is your sister? Let's be thinking about how this, what the, how this applies to us over the course of the week ahead. Please join me in prayer. Lord, uh, we again thank you for this time together. And God, uh, we, we recognize this morning your desire, your hopes and dreams for us as, as people that we would be able to reflect your love and your, your design for your good creation in our relationships. And God, sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes we find ourselves face-to-face with, with people in situations that we don't know what to do with, we don't know how to respond to. And Lord, in those situations, we, we ask that you would help us and you would guide us to take small steps that, that are in line with, with your hopes and your dreams for us as your people. Lord, in other circumstances, we will find ourselves being wronged by individuals and, and find anger and bitterness growing inside of us. And Lord, this morning, we acknowledge that sometimes that feels good. Sometimes that, those are emotions that, that we want to hold tightly to. But God, this morning, we, we, we ask that you would give us your strength to be able to release those things and to instead embrace forgiveness and reconciliation, that we would feel your healing and wholeness course through our veins, God, and set us free. Lord, relationships are hard. Help us when the relationships are hard, God. Lord, this morning we want to pray specifically for a very real thing going on in our region, going on in our, in, our, in our country, Lord, and that is the experience of homelessness of far too many. And we ask this morning that you would give wisdom and, and, and resources and, and even the courage to those in leadership, whether they be at government level or, or different agencies that are at work throughout our city, to be able to address homelessness in a way that, that makes meaningful change and doesn't just push these folks off to the side. And Lord, where it is possible, would you stir in in us the the ability to respond as as you have equipped us, as we are able? 
Lord, we ask that you would do what only you can do to bring your healing and your wholeness, not just to us as people, but to a society. God, thank you again for today. And as we look at the week that lies ahead with the the good things that will happen and the things that are really hard and the things that are challenging, would you just give us an awareness of you with us this, this week? That starting today, that we would be mindful of how you are with us, your, the Holy Spirit, how you are guiding us. And Lord, would you use us to do the things that you want to see done. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we wrap up this morning, we have an opportunity to kind of practice relationships uh, at the end of the service here. Uh, parents, if you've got kids, you don't have to pick up your kids for another five minutes. And we've got popsicles out in the foyer. Just as a bit of a summer treat, just to kind of just say, hey, it's summertime. Let's just kind of change the pace a little bit. If you want, they're really good ones, by the way. I think there's ones that are like called cotton candy flavor. And those were the ones that always disappeared at our house the fastest. Anyways, go get one of those. Uh, but thank you for joining us. Spend a couple more moments getting to know each other and getting caught up. Have a great week.